Hello, welcome to listening podcast show of Corners There Are Four Crimecast. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about Andre Chikatilo. Andre Chikatilo. That doesn't sound American, Katie. <laughs> what? Well, we're just cheesy straight off the straight out of the gate here. <laughs> no. Well, that was my my lead into asking you where where we're going for this one. Uh, the Soviet Union. Oh, the Soviet Union. And where did you do your research on this one, Katie? So for this one, I read Comrade Chikatilo by Michael Krivich and Olgart Olgin. And Rory, you read The Red Ripper by Peter Conradi. Yes, I did. And we also watched a couple documentaries, right? Ooh, I got in on that. And one that wasn't a documentary called Citizen X on HBO. They tried. I mean, some of it was true, but the majority of it was just dramatized. That's not the one I watched. I watched the other one. What one? Channel 44? I think it was that one. That one wasn't really about Andre Chikatilo, so we turned it off. No, I watched. We watched the whole thing of the one I watched, all the way to the end. And uh, whereabouts in Russia are we going, Katie? He was born in Ukraine, and then he stayed in Rostov. Now that's Rostov Oblast, right, Katie? That's yeah, this, the we region. couldn't quite figure yeah. it out. I think the oblasts are kind of like states. They all have their own flag and stuff. There's like 43 of them. No, Russia's they're weird. like a federal. I don't know. They're, yeah, they're a like, federal something. It's, it's weird. They're like a bureaucratic section of it like they just like they're the first level of bureaucracy in that area i don't don't know know. let's go ahead and start this one off katie andre chikatilo was born on october 16th 1936 in a small town in the ukrainian ssr at this point in the soviet union's history communism had recently taken hold after a civil war and famine killed somewhere around 3.9 million people the famine known as holdemor affected ukraine the worst With Stalin in power, he began three five-year plans to create the perfect society through communist ideals. Is that what they named Voldemort after? J.K. Rowling's was like, I'm going to name the bad guy after a famine. It could be. That's, I guess, entirely possible, yeah. One of those plans was collectivization, which made private land ownership illegal and forced families to combine their farms to produce more crops, which would then be seized by the government and rationed out to the people. Which is where they say we're going now around here in america we're just gonna rip up the constitution and it's this joe slippery slope joe biden is already using the constitution as his toilet paper oh you mean joe bon bidvanovich (laughs) the problem with this was that combining farmland actually severely reduced crop yield especially grain and yet another famine began why is that? Well, in, I would say it's probably due to like certain crop rotations where you can't plant grain in the same spot over and over. So you have to have certain instances where you have soybeans, grain, different things to add nutrients to the soil. So it may be one of those things where they're growing such a large swatch when they put all their stuff together that it becomes unusable. I don't know. And then another thing, too, is like, say you have like a horrible fungal outbreak and all your plants are like locust swarm eats all of your oh, crops it eats it all everything not just one farm everyone's food all right all right so bad idea right off the bat to make matters worse stalin noticed that hitler and his nazism had taken a hold of germany and he was just itching to start a war 
At this point, the five-year plan to beef up the Soviet Union's military force hadn't happened, meaning Stalin was absolutely fucked if Hitler decided to invade the USSR first. Stalin buddied up with Hitler, and in 1939 they joined forces and invaded Poland together, making them close allies in World War II. Because if you can't beat them, join them. So what caused the switch with that? Hitler was crazy. He literally thought Stalin was plotting against him. He thought pretty much everyone besides Japan was out to get him, and he needed to invade. And they also had a ton of land in really easy-to-occupy places. So. Oh, yeah, because you could just like go way out in the middle of nowhere, camp out, call that little Germany right in the middle of Russia. Your grasp of international politics is... Dude, this was Hitler. Like Katie said, he was crazy. This basically was a very slimmed down version of the Soviet Union's horribly sad history. So if you guys want an actual explanation of it, I would say Google it. Start with like the like late 1800s to early 1900s so you can read about Rasputin and stuff like that. Yeah, shit really started hitting the fan in like 1920 when the government was overthrown and then they all voted and they voted back in the government that they just overthrew and so... Lenin took over. Yeah, it was a whole whole shit show. Lots of people died. Or you can just roll with Hitler was crazy. <laughs> it's like five years of their history. Yeah. Yeah, I wrap it all up right there. According to Chikatilo, both his father and mother almost starved to death in 1933. The famine was so bad that what would have been Chikatilo's older brother, Stepan, was kidnapped and eaten by their neighbors. Even if that's just a story, that's a pretty horrible fucking thing to tell your child. Tell your child, yeah. Yeah. What if they, like, got a big, hot, flat stainless steel griddle, and they were chopping them up over the fire? You know what they call it? Steppenyaki. At this point in time, records on births were not kept, so while there's no actual proof this brother existed, it is entirely possible that this story is true. After World War II began, Chikatilo recalls the absolute terror of his childhood between 1941 and 1944. Even though the USSR and Germany had originally joined forces, Hitler believed that Stalin was plotting against him. In 1941, Germany invaded the Soviet Union and Nazi soldiers occupied much of the country. The family constantly had to hide from bombings and open firefights and flee from war that was raging right in their front yards. Chikatilo's father had, of course, been called to service in 1941, so it was just him and his mother through all of this. It's said that Chikatilo was a chronic bedwetter, and his mother beat and berated him for it as they shared a bed. I mean, your kid keeps peeing all over you every night. Yeah. I don't think you can beat bedwetting out of someone, though. Maybe you don't beat them, but the berating part... Mm -hmm. Little fucking bedwetter. Yeah, that never causes problems later. Yeah, in life. don't threaten your child because yeah. that just wor- makes things worse usually. You keep wetting the bed with your dirty worm! <laughs> <laughs> in 1943, Chikatilo's sister was born. While it was never explicitly said, there's no chance that his father had come home from fighting the Nazis long enough to conceive a child. More than likely, Chikatilo's sister was born when his mother was raped by a Nazi soldier. Because they lived in a very small hut and shared a bed, it's assumed that Chikatilo witnessed it. So he had some stuff fucking him up from the very beginning? Yeah. Good old Mother Russia? Ukraine. At some point during the war, Chikatilo's father was wounded and captured. Being a prisoner of war was absolutely unacceptable in the eyes of the Soviet Union. You were to either come home when the war ended or die in battle. 
Well, have you ever seen uh, Enemy at the Gates, where uh, one of the guys is Russian, and they force their troops to charge, and anybody that doesn't run gets shot dead right there for cowardice? Hmm, Russia didn't familiar. fuck around when it came to their military. Yeah, they had no problem shooting you in the head either. Yeah. So there if you was... showed up early before the war ended, you'd get... I mean, he didn't show up early. He was held in a POW camp for eight years. And they Seven were or eight years. rough on yeah. Russian POWs. And they just left you in the POW camp? Figure you're there till it's over or what? Um, I think, I'm pretty sure he was like freed yeah, gets, by American soldiers. You you will get liberated at some point if your side wins. If your side loses, yeah, you just stay in a POW camp. After the war ended, the famine only grew increasingly worse. Tricotello said that 1947 and 1948 were the worst years and he would often go to school so hungry that he would faint. Kids constantly bullied him for the state of his clothing and his shyness. Things were not any better at home, as Shikatilo witnessed, quote, the horror of seeing bodies starved to death, dragged along the streets, without coffins, and wrapped in rags. Despite the famine and constant bullying at school, Shikatilo studied constantly and received very good grades. He did most of his studying at home, as he had myopia and could not read anything his teachers wrote on the chalkboard. What's myopia? Nearsightedness. Yeah, well, some of our listeners are probably as dumb as me and don't know that. Because he spent all of his time studying, he had little friends and became extremely withdrawn. This led to even more bullying and beating, which he could not protect himself from as he was so weak from being starved. In 1949, his father returned home, extremely sick from tuberculosis. The kids in town discovered that his father had been a POW, which led to even more bullying. Because it was, like, something to be ashamed of that you got caught? Yes. Like I said, you either come home after the war's over or you die See, fighting well, for your country. That's the crazy thing. They they don't treat their, like, I mean, like sort of, vet, that's a veteran for them, technically. They don't treat them with any respect. Over here, we just make them senators. Well, over there... They believe that uh, communists are the ideal people and that real communists don't become POWs. Chikatilo just kept his head down and finished the seventh grade in 1951, the highest grade his school went. So after that, they called him Comrade Chikatilo. Not yet. Not yet, no. Oh, how old do you have to be to be Comrade? I think you have to be able to become an actual Communist Party member. Oh, they don't call everyone Comrade over there? No. Oh. I thought that was just the Russian thing. It's a communist thing? At this point in his life, he lived and breathed communism, doing everything he could at his young age to work his way up the ladder. To being a comrade. Yes. In 1952, while working in a brick factory, a brick fell on him and he was bedridden for weeks. In 1953, while working on a farm, his horse spooked and drug him along the road on the iron rods of the plow, causing a concussion. Two major head injuries in a year may be one explanation for his later behavior. Chikatilo continued his schooling, and by the ninth grade had begun to develop crushes on girls in his town. That's all it took was a brick to the head for him to develop crushes on girls in his town? Because he was socially inept, he was unable to speak to women and couldn't develop the romance he was deeply yearning for. He also discovered that he was impotent, leading to even more self-hatred. Was that from the brick? No. There's theories that he had hydrocephalus as a child, and that's what caused all of his problems, his impotence, his bedwetting. Water on the brain? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a medical expert. In 1954, he decided he was done attempting to talk to women. He was just going to take what he wanted. Ooh, like a caveman. His sister's 13-year-old friend arrived at his home looking for her, but she was not there. When she didn't immediately leave, Chikatilo followed her, pushing her down under some trees and laying on top of her, which caused him to ejaculate. Chikatilo claims that no one else knew about this event, but some sources say that the young girl told others what happened, which led to even more bullying. After this occurrence, Chikatilo says that he made a vow to himself, which was, quote, A cunt is the organ of human reproduction. I swear never to touch anyone's but my wife's. End quote. He obviously didn't mean touch with his penis. Through all of his adolescence, Chikatilo remained an avid believer in communism. He spent most of his free time studying the partisan fighters of World War II, which were a resistance group that fought against the Axis powers after the USSR was occupied by Nazi soldiers. His father had been a partisan, and Chikatilo wished he himself could follow in his footsteps. This would become a major aspect of his murders. After the sexual assault of his sister's friend, Chikatilo decided it was time to leave his small town and head for Moscow. He applied for Moscow State University, one of the most prestigious universities in the entire USSR. Ah, yes. MSU. Even though he passed all the admissions exams, he was declined. Even though he passed all of the admissions exams, he was declined. This was actually the most pre- one of the most prestigious schools in Russia. Uh, it wasn't that he wasn't good. He just wasn't competing on the same level as the other applicants. Like Mikhail Gorbachev beat him out in, in this year and became a future leader of Russia. So like that's the caliber of people that he's working with is not necessarily the same as some little guy that came from a small town out in the middle of nowhere. And got hit in the head with a brick and drugged by a plow. I doubt he put that in his like application though. <laughs> yeah, but it definitely didn't help. When he was filling out the application. Feelings hurt, he returned home and enrolled in a technical college for a degree in communications. In 1955, he met a friend of his sister's and quickly fell head over heels in love. They dated for around a year and a half before they decided to have sex for the first time. Chikatilo tried, but his impotence prevented anything from happening. They tried two more times before she broke up with him. Because he couldn't perform? Yeah. After this, he found a construction job in the Urals before briefly going back to school, but his degree had to be put on hold when he was called for military service. Uh, fun fact, Chikatilo was caught jerking it in the woods at this construction job by his whole work crew. He was fairly blind and couldn't see that he wasn't that far into the woods, and he just started beating his meat where everyone could see him. Yeah, they were all doing like the guy talk thing where they were sitting around eating their lunch and talking about having sex with their wives. and He got all boned yeah he yeah. got all excited and had to run off into the woods yeah they thought he was going going to the bathroom but they all just saw him whip it out and they just mercilessly made fun of him for it and at this point too i don't think i mentioned this but he knew he had myopia he knew he couldn't see but he refused to wear glasses because he was afraid of being called four eyes so he didn't actually like he couldn't see anything until he turned, like, 30 and got married. Well, yeah, because it's much better, much better to just be made fun of for jerking off in the woods. Oh, yeah. Rather than, like, hey, four eyes, wrong lumber. Yeah. He's like, ah. He continued to try and meet women, but his impotence prevented him from maintaining any serious relationships. 
He was stationed in Berlin as a special communication troop, ensuring that KGB lines from Berlin to Moscow were running smoothly. It was during this time that he officially became a member of the Communist Party. A comrade? Yes. It's kind of crazy to think about, but one of his... One of the things I read about his time in the army was when he was in like boot camp that he would go out with the guys at first, but he felt so awkward when people would start pairing off because he had no social skills that most of the time he'd just stay home and like listen to the radio. But there is one story, I think it's from 57 that he made like this discovery when he was hanging out with a woman, like they were kind of cuddling and he had pulled her into his lap and wrapped her arms around her when she went to get up. Chikatilo, like, hung on for a little bit longer, and she, like, pushed against him, and he immediately came. Like, he discovered that, oh, yeah, I kind of like it when she's trying to get away, and just, boom. Oh, serial rapist was born. It's just one of the instances, like, in his past. Like, he'd already pushed himself and came on top of a little girl, and then just happened to notice that when he was in the army, he... So he was already a rapist. Okay, that's true. I don't think it's really It's not. Racist. It's just sexual assault at this point because there's no actual penetration because he was impotent. Can't get the boner right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just a sort of pathetic little dick. Yeah, just it, like I don't know if you've ever seen like a limp straw or something, just kind of dribble a little bit. After being released from service in 1960, he returned home briefly before finding a communications job and moving to Rodionovka. In 1962. And I apologize to literally anyone that is offended by me saying none of this correctly. Well, yeah, you didn't say it correctly because you guys say, Rodionovka. Because I know someone's going to get upset that I didn't research enough and learn how to say all of this. So, Do we have a lot of Russian listeners? Who knows? There's only one way to find out. Here he was introduced to a friend of his sister's named Fenya, and the two married in 1963. Despite his troubles in the bedroom, the two would have a daughter in 1965 and a son in 1969. And Rory, you your book mentioned how they possibly did this? Yeah. Uh, Normal <laughs> sexual intercourse, right? No, he could still couldn't get hard, so he would uh, just sort of go, and she would put it inside herself to get pregnant. So he would uh, masturbate into her hand or near her, and she would... Uh, Scoop it in. Yeah, just shove it in there. We did try to learn the word, the Russian word for turkey baster, but it's really hard to pronounce. But they did have them, hopefully. In 1969, he got a job through the Communist Party as the chairman of the Regional Committee for Physical Education and Sports. It was in this position that Chikatilo discovered his attraction to children, both male and female. He decided that his best course of action would be to quit and become a teacher at a local boarding school. His pedophilia flourished, distracting him from any of his actual teaching duties. For most classes, he would just stand in front of the chalkboard, staring and rocking back and forth. He eventually wasn't able to just look and began blatantly grabbing the students' legs and chests. He would also show up in the girls' dormitories at night as they undressed for bed. The students typically complained, and his behavior was obvious to the other faculty, but nothing was done until 1973. Because it was a different time, or, like, they just... He was a communist. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. He was supposed to be, like, like, the perfection, the ideal man. He didn't do anything wrong, ever. So there's no possible way that anything that he could do was wrong. I get you. 
Well, the, those certain their communists at the time believed that certain instances of crime or deviancy didn't exist in communism. Like that certain crimes were just an idea of Western liberalism and didn't exist in communist society. Society. That's like one of the reasons he was able to get away with this for so long. And I'm sure him being a communist and working, I think some of the faculty were probably women. I doubt it was encouraged for women to speak up to yeah. a member of the Communist Party. Oh, and I mean, or in Russia, general. Russia had like a really, really weird puritanical belief about sex and they just didn't talk about it either. In May 1973, Chikatilo took his students to a local lake to swim. While he sat on the shore and watched the children in their bathing suits, his eyes wandered to one of the students he was particularly fond of. He called her over, but she told him to go away and swam out into the lake. Chikatilo went after her, eventually catching up and grabbing her by the waist. As she struggled to get away, Chikatilo began groping her under the water, which quickly turned into pinching and clawing at her. The girl began screaming, which caused him to ejaculate, and he let her go. He stayed in the water for 10 minutes before climbing ashore and disappearing. Every one of the girl's classmates saw and heard what happened, and she told her mother. Despite this, Chikatilo kept his job, escaping with zero punishment. A few days later, Chikatilo asked one of his students to stay behind after class. After locking the door, he sat down next to her and began molesting her like he had the other student. When he got up to unlock the door, she was able to escape by jumping out of a window. Once the girl told other faculty what had happened, Chikatilo quote-unquote voluntarily retired from the school, but not from teaching. It was actually part of the offer that they gave to him from the administration. They wouldn't snitch him out if he immediately left. But this invest, like, they didn't actually immediately do anything. It took months for them to discipline him after these two instances. Like, it wasn't like, oh, this happened and this happened. It was, this happened, they didn't really care. This happened, they cared, but they waited just X amount of time before they finally said, hey... Listen, we know what you did. Rather than ruin your career or whatever, we're going to give you the option to retire. Or hey, man, coming in the leave. lake is no big deal. Did they know that he ejaculated in the lake, too? Like, he was like... I don't think so. I think the children at this point were probably too young to fully understand what had happened. But in the book, it said that he, like, went stiff and looked like he had a spasm. So they knew something happened. I don't think that they actually knew that he had ejaculated, though. Thank you for that description. It is so much better now. Yeah, mental images for you. Just, yeah. He found another job at a boarding school immediately after quitting. The only difference was it was an all-boys school. Things began normally enough. Chikatilo actually taught the students for a period of time and avoided any serious incidents. He was able to do so because he kept himself busy outside of work, getting a job as a police informant and finding himself a mistress. For whatever reason, something about this new woman, the ex-wife of his brother-in-law, allowed him to perform sexually for the first time in his life. Their relationship continued until 1978, when he was fired from the boarding school and moved his family to Shakti, where he found yet another teaching job. He was known to sneak around the school at night, watching the children as they slept. He was able to control his urges around the school children because he discovered the ultimate release, something even better than simply molesting his students. 
finding a grown woman and having a consensual relationship and getting laid sometimes. Not quite. On December 22nd, Chikatilo met nine-year-old Lena Zatkanova at a streetcar stop. They had known each other for several months at this point, as Lena mentioned him often in conversations with her friends and family. The only thing they knew about the man was that he would give her pieces of gum, a rare treat for children. Around 6 o'clock the 22nd, Lena told her friends that she would get some gum from the man when she went and saw him that night. After the two met at the stop, Chikatilo was able to lure Lena back to a small shack he had rented and kept secret from his family. I'm going to read you a direct quote from Chikatilo as he described the murder of Lena. And it's absolutely horrible and graphic, and I would highly recommend just, just skip it. You don't need to hear this. All right, I'm skipping it. The way I decided to do this is this is just so horrible and descriptive that this is going to be really the only murder that we talk about in detail. And he also has between 53 and 56 victims. So it's just the sheer number of victims and the sheer horror of his murders that we're just going to talk about this one and not not mention it again. A seven parter where we read his descriptions of killing all 50 some victims. No. No, no, I don't want to do that to myself. Direct quote from Chikatilo, and I apologize. Straight from Katie's mouth. We entered my bungalow. I turned on the light as soon as I had locked the door and immediately pounced on her, crushing her under me. I knocked her to the floor. The girl was frightened and began screaming. I put my hands over her mouth and began to rip off her clothes from below, exposing her body. I unbuttoned her coat. She tore herself away, but there was nothing she could do against me. I lay on top of her, pressing my whole weight down on her body. After I pulled my pants down, I began to rub my sexual organ against her perineum, but it did not result in an erection of my sexual member, and I was unable to insert it into her vagina. But the desire to satisfy myself eclipsed all reason, and I wanted to achieve this by any means possible. Her screams excited me even more. Laying on top of her and rocking back and forth, as if in imitation of the sexual act, I reached for my knife and began to strike her with it. I had an ejaculation, as in a natural climax, and I began putting my sperm into her vagina with my hands. With my hands, I crawled inside her sexual organs. I felt like ripping and touching everything. She gasped, I strangled her, and this brought a kind of relief. When I realized that I had killed her, I got up, dressed, and decided to get rid of the corpse. Fuck this guy. No responses from either of you? How old? This child was how old? She was nine. Yuck. Do you want to take a break? Do you want me to keep going? No, let's get it done. We're almost done. Chikatilo carefully cleaned the floor of blood and picked up Lena's body, carrying it to the door. Once outside, he set her body down on the ground, trying to get a better hold of it. He then walked around two minutes to a nearby creek, where he pushed her body in and tossed her school bag after her. She was found two days later, on December 24th, underneath a bridge not far down the river from where Chikatilo dumped her. A neighbor a few houses down from the rented shack where Lena had died had seen the young girl two days earlier while she was still alive. The woman met up with a sketch artist and gave a very detailed description of the man she'd seen leading Lena down the street. The police searched for three weeks, trying to find a resident that matched the description given by the woman. With the image of the man still fresh in her memory, she even went out and searched the city every day, looking for the perpetrator. 
The sketch was taken to the local trade school, and surprisingly, the director recognized him instantly. He gave him Andre Chikachillo's name and address. A neighbor had also seen the lights on at the house late that night, and blood was found near it, from where he had set Lena's body down. Chikatilo was interrogated five times about the murder of Lena, but each time he was able to deny it. Police were so convinced that he wasn't responsible that they didn't even show the neighbor who'd given the sketch a photo of him to compare the man she'd seen with Lena the night of the murder. The reason the blinding evidence against Chikatilo was ignored was because police already had their prime suspect. Alexander Kravchenko lived in the shack directly in front of the creek where Lena's body was dumped, and was only a short walk away from it. When police checked the records of each resident of the neighborhood, they discovered that Alexander had been arrested and served time for the rape and murder of a teenage girl when he was a minor. Police immediately brought him in for questioning, almost completely convinced he was their killer before they'd even spoken to him. The only problem was that Alexander had an airtight alibi. He had been on his way home from work at 6 p.m. December 22nd, and both his wife and her friend backed up his story. Police weren't happy with this theory and decided that Alexander's wife and friend needed to change their stories. His wife was arrested on a theft charge, accused of stealing some clothes off a neighbor's clothesline. Police told her that if she didn't stop backing up Alexander's alibi, she'd be going to prison for not only theft, but being an accomplice to murder. They also threatened Alexander's death if she did not confess, saying that if she just told them what he'd done, he'd eventually return home. If not, he would receive capital punishment. As soon as she confessed that Alexander had returned home at 7.30, she was released. So they stiff-armed her into kibashing his alibi. Yeah, when they say that interrogation was brutal, it was brutal. Like, they mind-fucked you until you said whatever they wanted you to say. Now that she had confessed, they were able to arrest her friend for perjury and interrogate her as well. Because she had not been formally charged with anything, police were only allowed to hold her for 72 hours. At the end of the third day, she was still refusing to change her story. Police ignored the 72-hour rule and continued to brutally interrogate her for another day before she finally admitted she'd been lying. Alexander was arrested and placed in a cell, but continued to stick by his alibi. To get him talking, police placed a decoy in his cell and beat him into submission. (laughs) 72-hour rule and every other thing a prisoner could get, it's all just, you know, guidelines, suggestions. We don't stick to it. After he confessed, they realized that they needed legitimate evidence that at least placed him on the scene. Suddenly, they discovered that the pants he'd been wearing had nettles stuck in them, the same ones that grew on the bushes on the bank of the river Lena's body had been dumped in. And probably also all over the like the area, right? What do you mean? Those nettles probably grow oh, all over the place. I'm assuming so, yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like, oh, wait, yep, we got it. That's our concrete evidence there. Yeah. During the trial, the prosecutor even presented evidence proving that blood found on one of Alexander's sweaters matched Lena's blood type. With everything against him, Alexander was convicted and sentenced to death. For a few years, the case went back and forth between higher courts. In 1980, the Supreme Court commuted his death sentence to life. But then, in 1982, it was reversed and he was once again sentenced to death. On March 23, 1983, Alexander was executed by firing squad for the murder of Lena Zatkanova. And that's where we're going to finish this one up. Start back next week. 
pick it back up next week with all this happiness. They don't really fuck around when it comes to how quick they kill people, do they? No, most of the time you didn't even get an appeals process like this. I think the lack of evidence against him is what kept him alive for so long. Normally it's like, oh, you're shot in the head as soon as you go to prison, pretty much. Yeah. Or at least then. I think they're a little better now, or at least I hope. <laughs> they just don't want to spend all the time paying for like, for the taxpayers of Russia, you know? This cost 80 ruby, rubles? Rubles. Rubles. I can't say rubles. But yeah, so next week. I was so excited to have a week off. And then Katie figured out this is not a week off episode. Yeah, I was like, oh, we'll just get it done one episode now. What's happening after this episode? 52 more murders. No, no, no. Why were you going to get a week off? I was because I'm episode. having nightmares every night. And no. I, I was doing the episode. That's oh. why. Which episode are you doing? I haven't decided yet. Oh. Well, that's the best tease ever. Uh, is that going to be it for today? Yeah, that's all. All right, guys. Well, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast, on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and at Four Corners Crimecast.tumblr.com. And don't forget to. Hold on. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, check out our website, Four Corners Crimecast.com. There you can get a full episode list. Uh, Head over there for a full episode list to send us ideas for any episodes you guys might want to hear or to get your free sticker from our merch store by entering the code BINGOBANGO at checkout, and we will ship that out to you 100% for free. So if you guys have any friends in Russia, send them our podcast because we have zero listeners there. I think we've been banned. Oh, I'm sure they've never heard this story before, ever. They've banned us in Russia. We're too real for them. Alright, we will talk to you next week. See ya. Das Vidanya, motherfuckers. You have funny face. Das Vidanya, you have funny face. Ha ha ha, I laughed at your funny face. You stupid American.